What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here on the half of the podcast. Kyle, what's up, bro? Chilling, bro. Had a long day of work, but bro, we back at it again. Love being here. We got a great week six slate to go over. Uh, we've also got some interesting storylines going into week six that we'll cover uh, by the end of the episode. So you ready to dive into these topics? But of course. All right, so we're going to cover four games of the week six slate here. The first one we're going to go over is going to be the Jets and the Packers. Uh, I have to say this game, when we first looked at the season um, going into it, this probably would have been a, a game that we would have really looked at with much anticipation. But the Jets have been off to a decent start, and the Packers have been faltering of late. So uh, they had that crazy London game last week, and the Packers almost lost to the Patriots two weeks ago. So the Packers are a little bit unstable right now, and the Jets with Zach Wilson back in the fold, they seem to be getting their rhythm in place. So this will actually be an interesting game to go over. After that, we'll kick it over to the Ravens and Giants game. The Giants have been one of the more surprising teams in the NFL so far, starting out at a 4-1 record. Uh, the Ravens beat the Bengals uh, just, just this last week on a game-winning field goal by Justin Tucker. So this will be a pretty competitive game. It's really going to be a matchup I think of probably Lamar Jackson and that Giants defense because that Giants defense has been really solid to start off the year after that we'll kick it over to the Bills and Chiefs game which is probably one of the more anticipated matchups that we have this upcoming weekend I mean there's not really much to say about either the Bills or the Chiefs they're pretty much two of the best teams not only in the AFC but in the NFL uh, Josh Allen Patrick Mahomes probably two of the top five MVP candidates at this point and these guys have been playing absolutely phenomenal so far. So this definitely looks like a game that's going to be really exciting when we get down to it on Sunday. And then we'll round out the game slate for us with the Sunday night matchup that's going to take place between the Cowboys and the Eagles. Got a huge NFC East battle here. Uh, the Cowboys are looking to knock off the Eagles, who are the last remaining undefeated team in the NFL. I think this is going to be a great matchup uh, between Philly and Dallas when that game takes place on Sunday night. After that, we'll kick it to the NFC East, not with the Cowboys or the Eagles, but we're going to talk about the Commanders and some of the comments and some of the criticisms that Ron Rivera levied against Carson Wentz just a couple days ago. I know Kev will probably have plenty to talk about that. And then after that, we'll just kind of do something fun just to round out the episode. Uh, now that we're five games into the year, uh, we've seen some teams really have some great wins, some great losses, or some really tough losses. But we're going to focus on who we believe is the best division overall, or what is the best division in the NFL at this point in time. There's some great divisions here, uh, but we'll just try to limit it down to one for each of us as we round out the episode. So let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into this Jets and Packers matchup. Kev, I will say this is going to be an interesting matchup. You know, like I said, on paper a couple weeks ago, this would have been a game that we probably would have bypassed completely. Uh, but the Jets and the Packers, this is actually a compelling matchup. Uh, the Jets are off to a 3-2 and two start. The Packers are off to the same start as well. Uh, it seems as if the Packers are probably going in a little bit reverse after losing to the Giants in London this past weekend. And they had a very close matchup where they won in overtime against the Patriots two weeks ago. So it definitely seems like there's a little bit of instability when it comes to the Packers at this point. And then when we look at the Jets, uh, the Jets are on a two-game win streak. Uh, they beat the Steelers on the road two weeks ago, and then they absolutely beat the brakes off the Dolphins uh, last week. Now, granted, Tua was not playing in that game, and Teddy Bridgewater also had a concussion in that game. So 
you could definitely say that the Dolphins were playing with pretty much a subpar unit out there at the quarterback position. But overall, the Jets put up 40 points against Miami, and that's a pretty solid feat going into this matchup. But Kev, let's not waste any more time. Let's dive right into it. So when the Jets go up against the Packers this weekend, who do you think is going to come out on top and why? I'm going to actually go with the upset here. I'm going to go with New York. I think that Green Bay is kind of falling apart at the seams. I think that the Jets are actually outplaying a lot of other people's expectations. Uh, Zach Wilson has shown that he can be mobile, has shown that he can pass in the pocket. The Jets have found ways to run the ball with Brees Hall, Michael Carter. And, you know, Corey Davis and, you know, obviously Garrett Wilson are playing exponential right now. I think that both of them are playing uh, a lot better than what people had anticipated as well. And the Jets are over, you know, over exceeding expectations. People really don't understand is they also have a top 10 defense in the NFL in terms of overall defense. They're averaging 100 and what is it? Excuse me, 205 passing yards per game. They've only allowed uh, 313 total yards as a team, which isn't bad when you consider rushing yards and all these other combinations of where you can rack up yards. They're only allowing 23 points per game, which is not horrible for a Jets team. And I think that Robert Sala has really coached this team to play well in all facets of the ball. Um, special teams is playing well. Obviously, you have, uh, you know, the defense is playing good. Uh, Zach Wilson is going to get into a rhythm and continue to get better. The running game is playing very well. Um, and I just think that they're overall just playing at such a high level at this moment. I know the record doesn't reflect it, but when you had Joe Flacco in there and, you know, he didn't exactly do incredible. Uh, I also believe that when Zach Wilson got there, the offense immediately took a jump to that next level because of Zach's, Zach Wilson's ability to be mobile and, of course, the accuracy that he has as well. When you go into the Packers side, the inconsistencies at the wide receiver position one week it's one receiver one week it's another like last week was Randall Cobb the week before that was of course now I'm going to forget his name I don't know if it's Watson or Hobbs whichever one it was at the Dobbs. moment it was Dobbs excuse me Romeo um, Dobbs R Romeo Dobbs just it, it it's always somebody that has to take over in a moment but none of them have been consistent throughout the year um Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon we know are very capable of being downhill runners that can easily put up 150 175 yards between the two of them um it's just a matter of what rhythm are they going to get in are the New York Jets going to get off to a hot start to where Green Bay doesn't run the ball uh is Aaron Rodgers going to overcompensate with his arm and throw the ball 40 times we don't know Green Bay truly is the definition of up and down. I mean, they barely beat Tampa, and Tampa was struggling. And then, obviously, they barely beat a third-string quarterback in overtime. And then last week, they lose to Daniel Jones and the Giants, which, no disrespect, I don't believe anybody, including myself and Kyle, picked the Giants to win. And the Giants played great, and they did what they needed to do, and they upset Aaron Rodgers in London. So unless Green Bay finds a way to snap out of it, unless Green Bay finds a way to get back to their culture of winning and you know playing efficient, turnover-free football... I think the Jets come away with one here. I think it's going to be a big steal, especially because it's going to be in Lambeau right now. And I just, I, my gut is telling me to go with the Jets. And every single time I went against my gut to try to be analytical or look at the numbers too much, I really believe that that ended up screwing me. So I'll take the Jets here. I won't say it'll be a blowout by any means. I think the Jets will win by three to seven points. I wouldn't be surprised if this was somewhere around the score of 24-28 or 28-24, should I say Jets. But uh, yeah, I'm going to take New York and Zach Wilson. We'll see what happens. Uh, for me, I'm going to go the opposite way. I'm going with the Packers in this one. Uh, when I look at the Packers, yeah, they definitely had some up and down performances the last couple of weeks. Obviously, uh, two weeks ago against the Patriots, they really struggled. I mean, granted, they did get the win, but it took overtime to go get that, which was kind of surprising. And I'm a Patriot fan. 
And I was actually surprised we were that competitive in that game. And then when you look to last week, I mean, look, the Packers got off to a great start against the Giants. It's just the Giants completely shut them down in the second half, and they weren't able to move the ball effectively at all. So you got to give the Giants some credit there in that regard. But I think the Packers, when they go up against the Jets this week, I think that they have the advantages, and I'll lay them out here. When I look at the Packers, yeah, they've been struggling the last two weeks, but I think the one thing that I could stand out uh, from the Packers specifically is even though that they've had some issues on the offensive side of the ball with just the chemistry between Aaron Rodgers and his young receivers, they have been able to move the ball effectively. It just hasn't been for 60 minutes yet. And I do believe that, I think that that loss against the Giants last week probably set that tone in motion where they got to look at each other in that locker room and essentially say, guys, we got to be out there for 60 minutes and we got to go balls to the wall. We can't let drives go unfinished. We got to convert some of these third downs to extend drives and get points on the board, whether it comes in the form of a field goal or a touchdown. The big point of emphasis for me when it comes to the Packers is they have to maintain drives and they have to play a full 60 minutes on that offensive side of the ball. And not only that, you could say the same thing for the defensive side of the ball, just because last week they had a pretty good first half and then they just completely got destroyed by the Giants in the second half. They scored 17 unanswered points and the Packers defense was just completely bewildered by the fact that that game got away from them uh, that quickly in the second half. But I just think, you know, for me, I have more faith in Aaron Rodgers than I do in Zach Wilson. And that's no slight on Zach Wilson. Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And even though that things have been unstable for the Packers so far, I just believe that Aaron Rodgers is not going to make the mistakes that Zach Wilson could potentially make. I wouldn't be surprised if Zach Wilson has a turnover or two in that game against Green Bay. And not only that, I believe this is his first time going to Lambeau Field. So this will be a new environment for him. For him. And he may get uncomfortable just based off the fact that the Packers could bring a pretty good pass rush. And if he's not able to adjust to it properly, there's going to be some opportunities for the Packers to take advantage of. And I think really the best way that I could describe this with the Jets, you know, these last two wins that the Jets have had, they've been against the Steelers. And the Steelers are probably one of the worst teams in the NFL. And they did beat the Dolphins, but the Dolphins are facing some injuries. And they're not necessarily at 100% yet. Granted, the Jets did score 40 points, but I'm not going to take that win that seriously. I'm going to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt just because if... The Dolphins were at full strength. I'd have a completely different mindset about that win. But I just don't have a lot of faith that they're going to be able to continue that success going against Green Bay this week. It's just whenever the Jets have gone up against really good talent as far as the teams that they're going up against, they've struggled. When they went up against they went when they went up against the Bengals, they lost 27 to 12. When they went, went up against the Ravens, they lost 24 to 9. And even though they beat the Browns, the Browns were up 30 to 17, and the Browns just found a way to choke that game in the last two minutes of the game. So whenever the Jets have gone up against a decent team, they have faltered. And I do believe this is their first real test that they've gotten in the last three weeks. And I think it's going to be too much for them to handle. I think the Packers win this one in a relatively close game. Kev, I do agree with you in that regard. But I think when it's all said and done, I think the Packers win this one by a touchdown. I'm going to say that the Packers win this one by the score of 27 to 20 uh, when this game is all said and done. I mean, don't get me wrong. If Green Bay were to come out of left field and absolutely mop the floor with them, I wouldn't be surprised because just like you said, it's Aaron Rodgers. I mean, let's not sugarcoat anything. He's going to be going down as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. 
So I'm looking at this and I'm saying this game easily can get out of hand. I just think that the Jets are gaining momentum at the right time because they're young, because they're inexperienced, and because Robert Sala has created a culture in New York to where the defense is playing well, the offense is now getting it together. They have their star quarterback back from injury, and I think it's just overall that that time for them. You know what I'm saying? I think it's time for them to take that leap. I'm not saying make the playoffs. I'm definitely not saying that they're going to go out there and just smoke the Packers. But I do think that they can play competitive football. And if they can find a way to get to Aaron Rodgers, and I'm not saying that they will, force a turnover or two, I really think that this game can easily fall to the Jets because, again, I just truly think that um, they can take that next step. Yeah, I mean, I understand where you're coming from. It's just, I just don't have enough faith in the Jets yet. And it's basically one of the points that you said. It's just, I'm going to use it kind of against you. Is It is the fact that they are young and inexperienced. And... When you're going up against one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, you're going to need a little bit of experience on your side to be able to True. go toe to toe with to go toe to toe with him, and not only that, you know, take advantage of him and possibly get some turnovers off of Aaron Rodgers. I just don't believe that that'll be the case. I understand about the Jets' defense; they've had some pretty good showings the last couple of weeks, but like I said. This is their first real test in three weeks. And whenever they've gone up against a relatively decent quarterback, they've struggled. Lamar Jackson, they struggled. Joe Burrow, they struggled. Even Jacoby Brissett gave him problems. So, granted, I I take uh, what you said about the Packers wide receiving core and the chemistry issues that exist between them and Aaron Rodgers. They are real and they are legitimate. It's just, I don't think it's going to be that big of a focal piece for me going into that matchup against the Jets this week. I think they'll be able to move effectively up and down the field. I mean, they're not going to light up the Jets. They're not going to put up 35, 40 points against New York. I don't see no. that happening. Um, but overall, I think the Jets do enough. Not the Jets. The Packers do enough. And I think to me, you know, obviously we always focus on Aaron Rodgers and, you know, he needs to get done what needs to get done. But I think it's going to be that Packers defense. The Packers defense is going to be able to bring a pass rush. It has been effective at times. And I think if they're able to get Zach Wilson in some uncomfortable spots and possibly force some errant throws, I think there's definitely some opportunities for that Packers defense to come away with some turnovers. I wouldn't be surprised if they they get like two, they could maybe even get three turnovers in this game if the Jets are not careful. The Jets got to be careful with this one, especially knowing that Zach Wilson has had a tendency to turn the ball over quite frequently. Now, granted, he's only in year two, and there's a lot of room for improvement as far as I see from him. But I think overall, I think when you just tie in the factors of the inexperience that the Jets have, and you can't say that about the the Packers. The Packers have the experience. Uh, They have that advantage in this game. I just have a little bit more faith in them than I do the Jets. And and you know the crazy thing? You know the crazy thing is? You know, typically, like we say, like we could see like either team coming out on top with this one. Yeah. I'm actually pretty stand pat with the Packers winning this one. I mean, it would really take something special from the Jets for me personally, to see them getting this win. It's not impossible, you know, because nothing is impossible. Anything can happen any given on any Sunday. given Sunday. Exactly. But I just don't see it in this one. You know, I think it's very unlikely that the Jets come out on top of this one. But, I, you know, 99% of the time, that 1% could happen. So, right. like you said, any given Sunday. But I definitely think that the Jets have an uphill battle for sure. Facts. And that's actually kind of a perfect way for us to move into the next one. Uh, We're actually going to talk about the other New York team that shares the same stadium. Well, with the Ravens going to the Meadowlands, 
uh, or MetLife, excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm getting, dating myself here. Uh, with the Ravens headed to New York and Lamar Jackson coming off of a very nil close victory on, what was it, Sunday night against the Bengals, and the Giants coming off of a probably their best win of the season, uh, upsetting Green Bay in London. We're looking here of, could it necessarily be the battle of the two offenses? We know that the Ravens' defense has been suspect, but played relatively well last week. We know that the Giants' offense can be relatively suspect, but they played pretty solid on Sunday as well. So I'm kind of looking at this and saying, what side is going to give? And I have an idea for myself, but Kyle, I'm going to pose this one to you. Do you think Lamar Jackson can return to MVP form, or will the Giants continue this miracle run? This is a tricky one for me, Kev. I'm not going to lie about this one because when I look at this matchup, I could see either team winning this one for different reasons. I think if Baltimore wins this game, I think it's simply just because Lamar Jackson is going to put the team on his back and carry that Ravens offense over what I would consider a very stingy Giants defense. And I got to give credit where credit is due. This Giants defense is not to be trifled with. The Giants went to London last week. They played the Packers. And granted, Aaron Rodgers got off to a very good start in that first half of that Packers and Giants game. But in the second half, the Giants shut them down. I mean, the Packers scored no points in the second half, unless you consider that safety, which was basically just a symbolic drive at that point. It really didn't mean anything. The Giants had that game well in hand, even though that they gave up those two points at the end of the game. And it really is... Shocking to say that the Giants have been this good, despite the fact that I don't have a lot of faith in their offense when it comes to Daniel Jones because he turns the ball over damn near every game. Now, Saquon's having a great start, but just that Giants offense, to me, it's it's up and down because you never know what you're going to get with Daniel Jones. And that's what kind of makes this game interesting is, will that Giants offense be able to muster enough points against the Ravens, knowing that the Ravens have a pretty tough challenge when they go up against that Giants defense. And the way that I see it, Kev, I'm going to go with the Giants on this one. I don't have a lot of faith here, and I could definitely make some points about Lamar Jackson carrying this team on his back. But I'm going to go with the fact that I think this Giants defense is well-equipped to be able to slow down Lamar Jackson. I'm not saying stop him. Like he's, Lamar's going to get his points on the board. Like The Ravens are going to get what I would say probably two or three touchdowns in this game. But I think... It was a point that you were making earlier. That Ravens defense is suspect. And granted, they did play pretty well against Joe Burrow in the Bengals last week. But I take that performance with a little bit of grain of salt just because the Bengals have been inconsistent, to say the least, this year. They have not been the same team that we've seen them based off what they did last year when they went all the way to the Super Bowl. I think when it comes to the Giants defense, if they're able to contain Lamar Jackson, if they're able to hold him to let's say 75 yards rushing just because I know that Lamar Jackson is going to be a decent ball carrier for them. Same thing goes with J.K. Dobbins. If they're able to contain those two and they force Lamar Jackson into a situation where he has to pass for that Ravens offense to win, I do believe that is a best-case scenario for the Giants because the Giants were able to do that last week against Aaron Rodgers and stifled that Green Bay offense to, like I said, shutting them out entirely in the second half. And I think as, as far as their offense is concerned, their offense just has to do enough and not turn the ball over. If they turn the ball over in any way, shape, or form in this game, I think the Ravens win this one. But I do expect that the Giants are going to be able to continue what they had against the Packers last week, not turn the ball over, and maintain drives to either get field goals on the board 
or best case scenario, you get touchdowns on the board. And that's what the Giants were able to do last week in that second half against the Packers. They were not only able to put field goals on the board, they put up touchdowns. And I think that's absolutely critical here. So they got to convert on those third downs. They got to win the battle on the line of scrimmage to be able to win this game. Like I said, this is a very close game the way that I see it. This was not a game a couple weeks ago that I would have looked at with much anticipation just because I didn't think the Giants were that good to begin with. I would have said Ravens all day about five, six weeks ago. Can't say that anymore. This is a very evenly matched game, and I'm going to favor the home team in this one. I think this is going to be a very close game. I think the Giants win this one by about four points, and I do not believe this is going to be a high-scoring affair. I think when it's all said and done, I think the Giants win this one 24-20. This is going to be a very close game. It's going to be a very competitive game, but I'm going to go with the home team on this one, and that would improve them to 5-1 and in the season. So I'm actually going to agree, and the reason I'm going to agree is because... <laughs> I feel like, man, this is this is not a season of season-ending injuries, but there's just so many players batted and bruised throughout the entire year thus far. And we're only five weeks in, which is just insane. I'm looking at the injury report for the Giants and the freaking Ravens. And again, it's only Wednesday, so the report could change. But, dude, for the Ravens, man, they just lost Marcus Williams. He got put on IR. The Ravens might not have Bateman. The Ravens might not have a couple. Of, like, Ronnie Staley might be out. I mean, like, it's just the key pivotal players for them are potentially unavailable for them. And obviously, their defense is the last thing that needs any injury because they're not the greatest defense in the world. And especially in the secondary, they don't exactly have the greatest depth. Now, on the Giants' side, Leonard Williams didn't play last week. Adoree Jackson didn't play last week. I mean, obviously, we have Tyrod Taylor. The backup to Daniel Jones was unavailable. Wendell Robinson out of Kentucky, he was unavailable. Kenny Galladay wasn't there. Kadarius Toney wasn't there. Saquon hurt his freaking shoulder last week. I mean, all of these players are questionable that I just listed. Aside from Saquon, he is listed as questionable, but there's no way he doesn't play. I mean, he came back in the Green Bay game. It would take a massive setback for Brian Dable to have him not play, or that shoulder injury must be absolutely insane for him not to play. So I expect him to play personally. But I mean, aside injuries aside, Green Bay, excuse me, uh, Baltimore's defense stepped up last week. They held one of the potentially high-powered offenses to 17 points last week. And that was very, very convincing for me because at the end of the day, you still have Jamar Chase who owns them. You have Joe Burrow who threw for almost a thousand yards against them last season. And they found a way to get to the quarterback, which we already know the offensive line for Cincinnati isn't the greatest, but they found a way to make that habitual again. Justin Tuck, Justin Tucker. Oh my goodness. Um, JPP was in the backfield the entire night. I mean, it was just an absolute wreck for the Cincinnati Bengals. But I think that the Giants' offensive line potentially could be a little bit better. Uh, obviously, Cincinnati having one of the worst lines in football speaks volume. But I think with Saquon Barkley leading the NFL in total scrimmage yards for all running backs is kind of cool, especially coming off of the injuries that he's had recently. Daniel Jones not turning the ball over as much. And then the Giants' defense, if they can get a Dory Jackson and Leonard Williams and Bateman still out, I really do think... I really think the Giants can pull this off. I think this is probably one of the best teams they've played thus far this season, especially because the one game they played against a division rival, which was the Cowboys, I'm talking about the big game, they were within a few points. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it was a touchdown because they lost 16-23. to 23. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying, this is the chance for them to show, you know what, this isn't a fluke. You know what, this we are better than people are giving us credit for. We beat bad teams, yes, but we deserve to be in the conversation for one of the best teams in football. 
And I think that Daniel Jones sees and senses the urgency of how this season is going to direct his future because the Giants didn't pick up that fifth-year option. He's playing to a level in which he doesn't have to force things down the field. And granted, he needs to be given a lot of credit because the receiving core for this team has been lackluster and injury-prone, and he's finding a way to keep the ball away from the other team. I know they haven't played good teams, but Daniel Jones of old would force things down the field, would make bad reads. He's made bad throws, but all quarterbacks make bad throws. Not every quarterback is perfect. I think that he has taken it up a level as well. Nowhere near the upper echelon or anything like that, but I think that he has taken that step from being a horrible quarterback to coming up into that average place where he needs to realize that he's not going to go out there and necessarily throw a game-winning touchdown or come da- come back from pa- uh, come down from behind like Patrick Mahomes, like 17, 21-point deficits. But he does have three game-winning drives this season, and that needs to be spoken for that he can throw it in the clutch. So as long as Saquon can get his chunk of, ch- chunk of change in yards, as long as Daniel Jones keeps them away in terms of keeping the turnovers away, and then the Giants defense can take advantage of the Ravens, and the Giants defense can find a way to limit, and this is a hard thing to say, limit Lamar Jackson, I think it's going to be a really good game. Now, I'm not going to, I agree with Kyle. I don't think it's going to be a, a shootout by any means, but I do think that the Giants will have a close, uh, close victory, except I'm going to flip this and I'm going to say that the Giants win a, a, a nail biter, like a really, really tight one because we don't know if the receivers are going to be available this week as well. I think it's going to be like a 17 14 game. Marcus Williams being out is huge for the Ravens on injured reserve, but if the Giants have no receivers to extend the field outside of, of course, uh, Darius Slayton, I don't really have much faith that the passing game is going to be. Uh, a big part I think they're going to really have to lean on Saquon Barkley this week yeah and I think really when it comes to the Giants offense at this point uh, their bread and butter has been with Saquon and Saquon you know the best thing that I could say about him is he's been available in the last couple years you can't say that because he's just been riddled with injuries left and right but when it comes to the Giants offense I gotta give credit to their offensive line their offensive line has been very solid to open up run lanes for Saquon to exploit and they are giving enough time for Daniel Jones to be able to hook up with his receivers. Granted, I wouldn't say it's the best wide receiving core to work with, but you got to work with with what you have. And he's been he's been okay. He's been relatively solid, all things considered. And I have never had a lot of faith in Daniel Jones to begin with, just because he was a turnover machine and still is. I mean. I think one of his things was that he always would fumble the ball. Like his first two or three years, he would always fumble it as soon as like a little bit of pressure came his way. If he was even hit like at like a moderate level, it always seemed like he was giving up a fumble. But I will say, I think, you know, playing in a contract year, he's got to step up to the plate here. And so far he's been solid. But I think when it comes to the Giants, I think really the catalyst for this team has been their defense. Their defense is what has kept the, kept them in it as far as I see it because they're not giving up 30, 35 points a game. A lot of these point totals that they're giving up, they're in the high teens and maybe the low 20s. It's a lot better than giving up 25, 30, 35 points. So, you know, you tie those factors in. I am surprised that the Giants have gotten off to a decent start, but when, like you, when you look at each component of their team, they're doing enough. They're doing enough to get by. But I think as time goes on, they're going to get tested. And this is one of those tests. You know, granted, I would say last week was a test because going up against Aaron Rodgers is no easy feat. And they were able to, like, 
like we both Whether said. Whether the Storm, despite missing shows, a couple of their key and, defensive and, players. And, and it shows some perseverance, you know, to be able to come back from a 20 to 10 deficit and score 17 unanswered points. I don't care about the, the last two points. Those are just insignificant. As they were as gimme points. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not worried about that. The bulk of that second half, the Giants were on point, not only offensively, but defensively. And they could be able to continue that going up against the Ravens this week. You know, they'd be sitting possibly at a 5-1 and one record. And I know we'll kind of get into one of the other NFC East games going on this weekend. You know, but if the Eagles lose that game, there's a three-way tie at the top of the NFC East. Just saying, like, be kind of nuts six weeks into the season. And the Giants would find themselves in a scenario where they're technically tied for first place about halfway through October. I would have never envisioned that going into the season. At best, I thought the, the Giants would be maybe... Two and four, or three and three at this point, not five and one. You know, obviously we'll see what happens on Sunday, but I think that they have a good chance to beat the Ravens. But like I said, this is one of those games that could go either way. And Facts. for all the points that we made about the Giants winning this game, you could see the same thing about the Ravens. The Ravens could outdo that Giants defense, and the, they could give up. They could put thirty to thirty-five points on the board. Lamar Jackson throws three touchdowns, and J.K. Dobbins has a day. So we don't really know, but I would probably say that the Giants are going to win a close one. Like I said, three, four points. It's yep. pretty much how I see this game playing out. Agreed. But, but with that said, we are going to transition to one of our featured matchups of the week, and that is going to be the Buffalo Bills going up against the Kansas City Chiefs. Not much of an introduction here, you guys. You guys know what we're dealing with here. We got the Buffalo Bills, the Kansas City Chiefs. This is a rematch of that insane AFC divisional matchup that we had last year. If you guys missed that game, I mean, you missed one of the best games that you'll see from last year with freaking Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes going back and forth the entire game. And, you know, to see that rivalry get renewed in this week six matchup, it's going to be a fun one. I mean, the Chiefs are coming off of a very competitive Monday night game against the Raiders where they only beat them by one point. And then you have the Bills where they just absolutely beat the brakes off of the Steelers this past weekend. It was not even competitive. They won by 35 points. Josh Allen was just a man on a mission, and the Steelers had no answer whatsoever. It's going to be a great game on Sunday between the Bills and the Chiefs. Let's not waste any more time. Kev, we got the Bills and the Chiefs on Sunday. Who you got and why? I don't know. I've been sweating thinking because I knew that the question was coming to me. I really like, I'm looking at this saying, well, A, well, B, well, C, well, D. Like everything I have is like a counterpoint to the other. We know that Buffalo's got the, the league's best defense next to San Francisco. We know that Kansas City has been able to lock certain opponents down, especially when the, when the need demands for it. We know that both offenses are electric despite having issues on both sides. Obviously, you know, Tyree Kill's gone. And then on Buffalo, they're dealing with injuries. <sighs> I have to go with Buffalo because Buffalo is my Super Bowl pick. I have to go with Buffalo because of how they've been dominating teams. You know, at the end of the day, the Chiefs defense did allow the Raiders to score 29 points the week before that. They let the Bucks claw back. I know it was in garbage time, but still, you let the Bucks score 31 points. Uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, you, you did lose to Indianapolis. You lose a close one if you're Buffalo to Miami. And, you know, a couple things don't go your way between bad referees, some bad calls. You know, again, injuries throughout that game. I think that Josh Allen finally gets over the hump. I think Josh Allen's able to eliminate that 
doubt of him not being able to beat Pat off of his weight, off of his shoulders. I mean, if you look at the two of their stats, Josh Allen has 1,651 yards. Patrick Mahomes has 1,398 yards. Josh Allen has 14 touchdowns to four interceptions. Pat Mahomes has 15 touchdowns to two interceptions. They are a total of 10 total passing attempts apart in terms of Josh Allen having 199. Patrick Mahomes has 189. In terms of completions, they are only a mere seven completions apart from each other. Josh Allen has 133, and then Pat has 126. I mean, these quarterbacks, like I said at the beginning of the year, are truthfully 1A and 1B. Whoever you have at the top, it doesn't matter. Honestly, you can make the argument for both. Obviously, Pat has the hardware with the MVP and the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl MVP. So if you want to use accolades, you have to go with Patrick. But in terms of overall performances thus far, they're neck and neck. Uh, both teams are 4-1. and one. Both teams are overcoming uh, multiple forms of adversity. Obviously, they, Buffalo had that loss to Miami. Kansas City had that loss to uh, Indianapolis. But they both bounced back. Uh, Buffalo's ass whooping last week was overly convincing. But again, it was a bad Pittsburgh team. Gabriel, not Gabriel Davis. Um, oh my God, of course I'm going to forget his name now. Uh, Gabe, no. Da- Shit. What the hell? Uh, Stephon Diggs and his counterpart. Kyle, if you can help me out here. I can't remember this guy's freaking name. He it's, torched- Gabriel da- it's Gabriel Davis. It is Gabriel Davis. Okay. I was thinking of somebody else. I was, anyway. Gabriel Davis has emerged as a significant number two and just absolutely blowing the top off of defenses, getting open in the secondary. The issue with Buffalo is they don't run the football. Like, it's always Josh Allen running the football. Like, Josh Allen has 225 yards rushing this year on 35 carries. That's your quarterback. That's not necessary. And then, obviously, on the opposite side, you have Travis Kelsey, who's coming off of a four-touchdown performance on Monday Night Football. Like, this game, it, 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 it could very well be a shootout honestly, because of how high-powered these offenses are. But I will give the edge to the Bills because I believe that their defense is better. They will find a way to create turnovers against Patrick Mahomes. I think that the Chiefs' defense can be suspect at certain times. We saw that Derek Carr was able to abuse and blow the top off with De- uh, Devontae Adams last week. So I, I, I think that Stephon Diggs is going to find a way to do the same. And then, of course... I don't know, man. I, I really think that the rushing attack for the Chiefs has also been inconsistent. You have some games where Edwards Hilaire does good. You have some games where uh, McKinnon does really good. I mean, it really depends on the offense that Andy Reid wants, wants to run that day. But I will say that this is going to be a close one. I'm going to go out and say that this is going to be something along the lines of 31-28, maybe like another game-winning field goal. But instead, it's going to be in favor of Buffalo. I think Josh Allen escapes the hump, and I think that they move on to 5-1 and one in the AFC East. Hey, Kev, well, first of all, there's a thunderstorm rolling by. So, like, if you guys hear, like, anything in the background, it's probably just, like, a big roll of thunder. So, I apologize if, like, that just happens. Um, It's kind of weird. It hasn't rained in Florida in two weeks, and we already got a thunderstorm. So, it's like, yeah. ever since that hurricane, it's it's been actually relatively dry. But this is the first time it's really rained. But to get back on track here, like you said, this is the game of the year as far as I see it. You know, you got the best offense. Going up against the best defense. The Chiefs have the number one offense after week five. The Bills have the best defense after week five. And the crazy part is, is that the Bills have the number two ranked offense right behind the Chiefs. Like this is literally like David versus Goliath. And this is one of those games where it could go either way. And you could make points all day about which team is going to win. But Kev, I agree with you. I think the Bills get this one. I think they do it. I wouldn't say in relatively convincing fashion. I'm not talking about they blow the doors off the Chiefs. They win by three touchdowns, and it just shocks everybody. I don't see that happening. 
I think they win by a touchdown. And I'll explain. I think when it comes to the Bills, I think they need to get past what happened in the AFC Divisional Round. They had that game one with 13 seconds left, and then they allowed pretty much a 50 to 60-yard drive by Patrick Mahomes in that Chiefs offense within 10 seconds. And they allowed a game-tying field goal to send the game into overtime where Patrick Mahomes, that Chiefs offense, marched right down the field, and Mahomes hooked up with Kelsey for the game-winning touchdown that sent the Chiefs to the AFC Championship. And I think they're going to use that as fuel and motivation going into this game. I don't care what any of these uh, reports are saying about, oh, the Bills are looking at what happened last year in the rearview mirror. Absolutely not. They are going to use that as all motivating factors going into this game. It's like, that was a game that we should have won. We're going to use it, and we're going to try to get the most out of our players going into this matchup. And I think when it comes to that Bills defense, I'm going to focus on them for a second here because let's face it, they are dinged up. This is not necessarily a Bills defense that's at its peak power just because, you know, Micah Hyde, for example, he's out for the rest of the year. And there's been some lingering issues, uh, some lingering injuries, I should say, uh, throughout this defense. And I think overall, when it comes to how the Bills are going to be able to counter that, I think they just have to, you know, play bump and run coverage with those Chiefs receivers. And it's going to be very difficult to be able to counteract the Chiefs receivers and their wide receiving, um, the elements that they have at their disposal, just because, like I said, the Chiefs have the best offense in the league and they've been able to put up 30 to 35 points consistently on any given Sunday. And I think when you look at the Bills, I think they do enough to slow them down to probably manage. I'm going to say they give up maybe 20, 25 points, but if they give up over 30, then it gets a little bit tricky for me with the Bills. But I think that the Bills, that defense is going to be able to hold off that Patrick Mahomes-led offense enough. And then I think Josh Allen is going to have a field day against the Chiefs. That Chiefs defense is suspect. They almost gave up 30 points to the Raiders last week. And the Raiders, you know, granted their record doesn't indicate it, but the Raiders are a pretty solid team. They have a pretty good cast of receivers. Derek Carr is a pretty solid quarterback, and they were able to move the ball effectively against that Chiefs defense. And I think with Josh Allen at the fold, man, he could put up three, four touchdowns in this game. I wouldn't be surprised if Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis, we'll see what happens with Dawson Knox. Dawson Knox is probably going to be questionable going into this game, but they got some great targets to be able to throw to. Isaiah McKenzie is another one. I will say that the Bills definitely have the requisite pieces to win this game, but is this going to be a great game? I think it is going to be a shootout, like you said, Kev. I think when it's all said and done, I think the Bills win this one by about a touchdown. I'm going to say the Bills win this one by the score of 31-24. to 24. I just have too much faith in Josh Allen at this point, and it's not to say that I don't have faith in Patrick Mahomes. I do. I just believe that Patrick Mahomes has a little bit more of a difficult challenge going up against that Bills defense because I think that Bills defense is better. And I think that points are going to be tough to come by in certain stretches of the game for the Chiefs, where I think when you look at the Bills, that is not going to be the case. I think the Bills are going to be able to effectively move the ball up and down the field. It's just whether or not that they can cash in on those third down conversions and extend drives. If they do that, they should win this game by about a touchdown like I outlined, and they would improve to 5-1 and one on the year. Hey, sidebar tangent. Let's be honest, this game could come down to a referee call. We have seen horrible, horrible calls this past weekend in terms of roughing the passers. 
uh, from the Tampa game as well as the Monday night game against Derek Carr uh, from the Chiefs on Chris Jones's side. The refs need to do better. This game is too pivotal, too important, too big for it to come down to a, a, a shitty momentum shift call. The refs have to be better with all of these um, illegal motions, illegal shifts, illegal, ineligible man down field calls. I've seen that call 50 fucking times more than I've ever seen it called in my life this season, and it's only week five. And then now this roughing the passer thing is the new fetish we have, and I agree with Chris Jones completely. This needs to be something that's challenged because what is a defensive lineman supposed to do when gravity is doing what it is supposed to do and you're falling? You, you can't catch the quarterback if your job is to sack them, and by sacking them, they need to touch the floor. Chris Jones fell on the back of Derek Carr, in which the ball came out first, and he fell on top of him. I understand that the rule is you cannot fall on top of the quarterback, but that is almost a damn near impossible task when you're pushing forward at 340, 350 pounds at full speed, and you land. Where would you like it? Would you like you want to touch him? If that's what it, if that's excuse me, if that's what it's going to be. Make it two-hand touch. Make it seven-on-seven. This is the NFL. Contact is going to happen. If you're looking for flags, like Josh Allen was looking for a flag, I believe, last week, if not... Yeah, no, it was last week where he pointed at the referee, and I didn't think that was a rough-in-the-passer call either, but I thought maybe it was a bad call. It's now becoming a reoccurring thing, two consecutive weeks in a row, in which that decided a couple of games that easily could have swayed in uh, the the Raiders fans, the Raiders' favor, and they ended up choking it because of play calling, not because of that call. Then you have the Tampa game where Atlanta was driving in the second half, if not the fourth quarter, and Tom Brady gets a first down at 15 yards, and they keep the ball away from Atlanta to close the game out and hold down to that victory. Josh Allen gets that call last two weeks ago, and that ends up pushing the ball forward for Buffalo to take the lead as well against Baltimore. A lot of different things here. A lot of different factors. Obviously, it's going to be a big game no matter what. It's going to be a, a very entertaining game. I just wanted to make the notion and the point. Kyle and I had talked about it before we recorded, and we were, talked about it after the games on Sunday and Monday. That call has to change drastically. The refs have to do better. And we've seen some bad calls. We were, we were very into football and around during the... Excuse me, I have a hair. like My dog's hair is like in my mouth. I don't know how. Um, we have seen the replacement refs. We have seen horrible calls in the playoff. I mean, the playoffs. I mean, we were alive for the tuck rule and so many things. It's like a, 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 a missed call in the NFC Championship with the Rams and the, uh, and the Saints. That, that was atrocious. That should have been called. All I'm saying is, like I said, the, the, the refs have to be better. They have to be on their A game. This game is too important for the league's success for it to come down to a shitty call. It's going to be a close game regardless. I just hope that the refs are on point this game. Well, yeah, I think when it comes to how the game is being refereed, I think it's obvious after what happened to Chris Jones and the Chiefs on Monday night that the protection of the quarterback has gotten to a point where it's just outright ridiculous. It was kind of funny because I remember I was watching a segment. I remember Kevin Hart, he went to ESPN a couple years ago, and he was kind of making his rounds in some of the morning shows that ESPN has. They get up. Um I think he was on first take. He was probably on a couple other ones. This was a couple years ago. And one of the running jokes that he had was they were talking about safety of the quarterback. You know, how can the NFL best protect quarterbacks, you know, in a league where, you know, the quarterback is absolutely pivotal. Well, he kind of made the joke of like, all right, I'm going to have the defenders literally pick me up and then slowly bring me to the ground. And then I'm going to put a pillow on the ground. I'm going to put a blanket over him. And I'm going to make sure that 
homeboy is read a bedtime story, and then that way, you know, the refs won't be able to throw a flag. Gotta make sure he's tucked 15. in, bro, before you yeah. get 15 yards. Exactly. You know, was that was kind of the joke that Kevin Hart had for how far the NFL has gone to protect the quarterbacks. And for me, I think it's gotten absolutely ridiculous because when it comes to defenders, when it comes to defensive linemen, how are you supposed to bring a quarterback down? And granted, I understand there's a certain way that you're not supposed to bring it down just because of, you know, if, I mean, if you're going helmet to helmet, that's one thing. But I mean, if it's just a straight on sack and you got Chris Jones and he's got 300 pounds of human body coming down on Derek Carr in a relatively clean tackle. It was a, a very clean, it was a very stout tackle. You know, so it was that good of a tackle where he was able to rip the ball out and able to get it. You know, to me, that game was entirely dependent on that play had the Raiders won that game. Had the Raiders won that game, everybody would have looked at that play specifically and said, Chiefs got robbed. Because at that point, I think the Raiders were up 14 nothing, Maybe 17 nothing at that point. That was in the first half. And yeah. it just... Those types of plays can change an entire outcome of a game. Now, fortunately for the Chiefs, they were able to bounce back in the second half and win that game. It's kind of like what I outlined earlier this week. But you have to let defenders play. And if they're not, you know, headhunting, you know, where they're trying to initiate contact helmet to helmet. Or they're not I diving think, at the kneecaps of the exact, quarterback. Exactly. I think everything is fair game. You know, when it comes to quarterbacks that roll out of the pocket, you know, and if they get hit, they get knocked down by a defender. What do you think is going to happen? All of that weight that the defender has, it's going to go with them. I remember a play a couple of years ago where Jimmy Garoppolo, he was playing for the Patriots at the time, was rolling out of the pocket. I think they were playing Miami. I forget who tackled him. Jimmy ends up throwing the ball, and then the defender basically kind of puts like his helmet underneath Jimmy's armpit. And as he's coming down, Jimmy lands on the top of his shoulder and sprains his Shoulder, sprains his collarbone. He's out like four to six weeks because of that. There was no penalty called back then, and I think it's because they probably have a little bit more freedom as far as defenders are concerned to be able to knock the quarterback down. But, you know, you look back at that situation with Chris Jones last week, it was absolutely atrocious. Those Kansas City fans were going absolutely ballistic towards the refs, and they had every right to. It's getting to a point, like you said, Kev, it might as well just throw pennies or flags on the guys at this point that way. The quarterbacks don't have to deal with getting hit. It's either that or run seven on seven. And you know what? I I think it's getting to the point where it's like you said, unless you know you hit the head or you're diving at the knees, I think it's fair game. I mean, defenders back in the day, Kev, they damn near murdered quarterbacks with how hard they used to hit them back in the day. Lawrence Taylor was one of them. You know, you could look back at a boatload of defenders back in the Michael day. Michael Strahan. Just, I mean, the, the list is Reggie endless. White, in terms Reggie White. Reggie White. I mean, they were hilarious. There, there, no, there was no stopping people. Even uh, even our era growing up, you know, like the OCU Minuras and obviously the Jared Allens and, and so many other. J.J. Watt, for God's sakes. That, that, that was a monster. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. It, it's getting ha- too soft. You have to let the defenders be able to make plays. And guess what? Are they nice about it all the time? Nope. Nope. And sometimes they will inflict 
a little bit of hurt to go along with it. I'm not saying like they're going to like, you know, twist a quarterback's ankle or step on their hand or I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about clean tackles. You're not talking so, about Indominus Sue. No, not at all. No, I'm talking about clean tackles that hey, it could be a good hit. You know, it's like you said, if you're not head hunting, you're not diving at the knees. Hey, bro, it's fair game. You know, there has to be a little bit of consequence when it comes to the quarterback position. You know, you're going up against defenders who are 250, 350 pounds at full speed. And guess what? There's going to be some licks that come along with that. So I don't know what's going to happen. You know, we'll see what happens moving forward. But, you know, the way that I see it, Kev, I'm with you 100%. I think the league is getting way too soft when it comes to protecting the quarterback. And like you said, if this Bills and Chiefs game comes down to a penalty call or a controversial call, it's just going to be another another point of emphasis, I guess, on you know the refs having too much of an emphasis on affecting an outcome of a game. And we saw that with the Chiefs in the Raiders game last week. Hopefully that doesn't happen with the Chiefs and the Bills. Uh, this upcoming Sunday, but overall, I'm really excited about this game, though, between the Chiefs and the Bills. It's going to be a great game, and hopefully it lives up to expectations. Uh, just based off of last year alone, uh, this game is definitely going to be must-see TV. I wish this game was primetime, though, just because... It needed to the, be, man. It, it, was, it really did. It was a 425 game, you know, for this one. But, you know, I guess we'll kind of transition into the Sunday night game that's going to take place. Uh, between two really good NFC East teams. We got the Philadelphia Eagles going up against the Dallas Cowboys. Um, you know, when it comes to both teams, we'll start with the Phillies. They're the home team here. They're the only undefeated team left in the NFL at a 5-0 and record. And when you look at the Giants, uh, not the Giants, when you look at the Cowboys, the Cowboys are off to a 4-1 start when nobody expected it. Nobody was expecting the Cowboys to be in this position five weeks in after Dak Prescott went out with a thumb injury week one against Tampa. Kevin and I were some of those people basically believing that the Cowboys season was effectively over because we didn't necessarily have that much faith in Cooper Rush and that Dallas defense, which has been absolutely incredible to be able to get to the result of being a 4-1 team. So this is going to be a great Sunday night matchup when the Cowboys go up against the Eagles. I know Kev has kind of become like a pseudo Eagles fan just because of his association with his girlfriend. But I think this is going to be a great game when it's all said and done. So Kevin, to kick this one to you, with the Cowboys going up against the Eagles on Sunday night, who do you think is going to come out on top and why? I got Philly. Um, we looked up the injury report for Dallas. Uh, Dak Prescott is on it. Um, he has not been given a status for this game because he was practicing. They are leaning towards, from what we have read, they are leaning towards him being out because they want him to have a full week of practice before he goes into a game. And he was able to grip the ball and throw at practice today. But again, they do not want to rush him back. Now, Anything can change. Again, it's Wednesday. Dak could have a perfect day on Thursday, a perfect day on Friday, and they could say, screw it, we'll roll the dice. Uh, in my opinion, I think that's foolish. If he's not ready yet, if he hasn't had a full padded, fully associated practice yet, I think that would be silly. You'd be putting your quarterback's future at risk, his health at risk, and your team's ability to win uh, successfully. Because if you change quarterbacks midweek of practice, you know, Cooper's getting first reps, Dak comes in, he hasn't played in a month and a half, you know, that might, that might mess up the entire flow of the team. I think you keep everything that you have right now, you let Cooper do his thing, you see if it's going to work, and if it does, the success continues and the experiment paid off. You know, he 
played the best football he possibly could because the only loss that they have, he came in in the fourth quarter. So you can't say that they, that one hiccup was because of Cooper. Anyway, to get back to my prediction, I think Philadelphia is going to actually combat this Dallas defense. I think that if Jordan Mylotta can come back healthy at the left tackle position, yeah, he replaced, um, if I'm not mistaken, Jason Peters. Uh, I think that he is going to be able to be a solidifying force to assist in limiting the pass rush to the Cowboys. We know that that is their bread and butter. We also know that the secondary of the Cowboys has been... Uh, exceptional this season. Overall, their defense is a top five defense in the league for a reason. So we know that that is going to be a challenge. I think that the combination of the mobility of Jalen Hurts, the running attack of the Eagles in general, which we know that Dallas's defense isn't necessarily uh, perfect at. I think that's their weakest attribute. If I had to give them one flaw is stopping the run. We know that Philly is one of the better running teams in the league. And of course, the development of Jalen Hurts and how he's ascended into the MVP conversation this season because of how he's been able to move the ball effectively, not just to A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, but to everybody on that offense. I think that that is going to show in colors on primetime in Philly. I think this is the game where Jalen Hurts turns all the naysayers away. I think that this is going to be the opportunity for him to show out and say, I'm going to be the quarterback for the Eagles moving forward. And I think A.J. Brown has a very, very, very big game. We all know that Trayvon Diggs is hyped up had 11 interceptions last week, is a very physical and aggressive corner, but we also know that he likes to take the gamble in terms of always going for the interception or misreading and trying to jump or undercut a route. We saw it last week with Cooper Cup where Cooper ran across the field and Trayvon tried to cut underneath, and he missed. If A.J. Brown gets just an inch of separation because of his physicality, height, and strength, I think that he could potentially abuse uh, Trayvon Diggs because I think that he is just an overall better receiver and a better matchup for himself in terms of being able to come down with the ball going 50-50 in the air. Uh, and if not, I think Devontae Smith is a very good number two option. Dallas Goddard arguably is one of the better tight ends in the league. And I just, I really believe that Philly's pass rush, which people tend to forget about, is going to be coming at Cooper Rush. I think that they're going to find ways in the backfield, just like Aaron Donald did last week. Not that Cooper Rush was horrible and not that he was perfect, but 10 of 16 for 102 yards wasn't exactly convincing for me. If Philly gets in the backfield with Fletcher Cox, Jordan Davis, Brandon Graham, I mean, the list goes on and on and on about pass rushers. I think that they are going to find a way to take Dallas off of their high horse, move on to 6-0, and and I think that, like I said, Jalen Hurts will be the MVP of this game. I think this game will be anywhere from 7 to 10 points of a, of a differential, so I think Dallas could potentially lose this game by 10 points if they do not come up with an answer on the offensive side of the ball. So this could be anywhere from 35-24, maybe even 35-24. I said that twice now, excuse me. 21-31, uh, something of that nature. I just I think that Philadelphia takes this wholeheartedly and I think that they have the capability to actually go out and uh and really blow the doors off of it if possible I think overall Kev I'm, I'm with you I think I gotta favor the Eagles in this one and I think for me it's pretty simple like when it comes to the matchup of Cooper Rush and Jalen Hurts I gotta favor Jalen in this one and I understand that you know when you look at the Cowboys success this year Cooper Rush has definitely been a part of it he's definitely I would say done enough to get them to this point where they're four and one, but it has been their defense. Their defense is, I believe the second best defense in the NFC. I believe the 49ers have the number one defense in the NFC. The Cowboys are right behind them. So, you know, if Jalen hurts in this offense with that Philly has are able to overcome that Cowboys defense, which has been surprisingly good so far. Got to give them credit in that one. I think when it comes to the Eagles here, I think the Eagles should probably look at something that exposed the Cowboys in week one. That was the only game that they lost, and it was against Tampa. 
Tampa was able to effectively run the football against Dallas's defense. And Leonard Fournette had one of his best performances throughout the entire year so far against that Dallas defense that has been very solid so far. And I think when you look at how the Eagles run their offense, Miles Sanders is going to be a big key for me here. Just because, you know, when it comes to Jalen and the read option, obviously Dallas is going to have to contend with that. But I think there's going to be some ample opportunities for Miles Sanders to possibly hit some run lanes and get good chunks of, you know, six, seven, eight yards, and maybe potentially break out some plays where he's able to get 15, 20 yards a chunk. You know, when I look at the success that the Eagles offense has had, it's been a balanced effort. You know, obviously at this point, I haven't seen a game where Jalen just is carrying the offense and he's done it single-handedly to get them a win. It's really been a balanced effort here with a little bit of Jalen, a little bit of Miles Sanders in the backfield. Then you tie in with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith can do alongside Dallas Goddard. This is a very potent offense, and it really does seem as if each focal piece of the offense isn't really overdoing another piece of the offense. It seems very complimentary, and I think by and large, when it comes to the Eagles, that's what's made them successful. And not only that, their defense has been playing up to snuff. They've been able to bring effective pass rushes, and they've been able to turn the ball over. You know, probably one of the biggest games that they had this year was against the Vikings uh, on Monday night just a few weeks ago, and they were able to turn the ball over constantly when they were going up against Kirk Cousins. Now, when it comes to Cooper Rush, Cooper Rush has been very solid with not turning the ball over. You know, through the first five games, or I should say the first four starts that he's had, he hasn't turned the ball over yet, hasn't thrown an interception. Now, granted, Dallas's offensive scheme really isn't focused on Cooper Rush here. He's definitely a piece of it, but it's an effective run game as well with Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. And by and large, the Cowboys have been largely successful running a very methodical offense and really relying on their defense to get wins here. But I think this is going to be one of those games where I think the Cowboys offense is going to struggle to move the ball up and down the field. And I think this could be the first game that Cooper makes some mistakes and there's going to be some turnovers as a result from it. And overall, I just think that that, Eagles defense, they have the requisite pieces to be able to slow down that Cowboys offense. And I think when it's all said and done, I think they're only going to limit them to 17, 20 points at most. I think this is a game that the Eagles should win. I I would say that they probably win this one by a touchdown. If I had to put a score on it, I'd probably say that the Eagles win this one. I'm going to say 27 to 20. I think this is one of those games where It's going to be kind of like a slow grind. Both teams are going to be able to move the ball effectively. But to me, I think both teams are going to make some decent second-half adjustments. I just think the Eagles are going to make some better ones and force Cooper Rush into some errant throws. And that's where I think the Eagles could take advantage uh, for some possible turnovers. And I think that the Eagles offense with Jalen Hurts and the core players that they have at their disposal, they're going to take advantage of it. But overall... This is going to be a very competitive game. It's going to be a very fun game to watch on Sunday night. But I think when it's all said and done, I just don't have enough faith in Cooper Rush and that Cowboys offense to get over the hump in this one. I think the Eagles are too stacked on the offense and the defensive side of the ball here. And I think when you tie those factors in, the Eagles move to 6-0 and in the year. Now, to play devil's advocate, because you and a lot of other people that I personally know think that I am biased and that I cannot see a flaw in Philadelphia, I'm going to play devil's advocate. If, if this is a sign that 
the Eagles' schedule has been favorable. If Dallas gets to Jalen, if they get him rattled, if they limit the run game or force a lot of turnovers, for whatever reason, if this game just goes ass-back sideways, bro, and it's, it's all Dallas, Cooper Rush is going to have all the pressure in the world because they're going to need a score on the offensive side because we know that Philly's defense is stout as well. But I know that Philly's defense I have a little bit more faith in because they've played a little bit more of the... They've played a better offense than they've seen opposing defenses. I think that Minnesota's offense was something that was a little bit more competitive. I think that at the time, Washington's defense, because of where they were at that point in the season and Carson Wentz being the proclaimed better quarterback at the time, um, I think that they showed out limiting Terry McLaurin, limiting the run game, finding ways to get to the quarterback. I think that they've had a harder schedule in terms of who they faced offensively. I really believe that Cooper has to take that next step. He cannot have 102 passing yards. He cannot have just the bare minimum. He's going to have to throw receivers open. He's going to have to play well. And this is going to also fall on the running game and play calling of Kellen Moore with the combination of how you're going to use Pollard and Elliott. If you do not run the ball for over 100 yards, I think that this becomes one-dimensional, and that pass rush eventually will get to Cooper. It, I think it's kind of interesting, though, You know, to play the whole devil's advocate card. I think that they could still win that way. I I really think that they could. You know, where Cooper only puts up 150 yards passing and they rely on their defense to win the game. It's been effective so far. I mean, look at the game last week against the Rams. That Rams offense couldn't get anything of really great production against that Cowboys defense pretty much the entire game. And I know a lot of people have looked at the Rams of like, They've been very suspect to begin the year, and it is very true. That offense has been very suspect, and the defense is faltering, I think, because of it. Just because there's there's a certain level of discord with the Rams right now that I think that we we had to focus on moving forward. But I think, in part, the Cowboys honed in on that, and they made life absolutely hell for that Rams offense. And they did it right from the start. I mean, they were able to force a sack on Matt Stafford. They forced a fumble, and then I believe Demarcus Lawrence picked it up and ran it for a touchdown put the Cowboys up 7-0 within the first two minutes of the game. And if the Cowboys defense is able to do that effectively against Jalen Hurts, I'm not talking about stripping, stripping him and you know they run it back for a touchdown within the first two minutes of the game. All they have to do is just get enough pressure to where he's got to chuck the ball out of bounds or he's got to make a very contested throw. You know, the Cowboys defense has shown me enough where they could keep themselves in a game just based off of what that defense could do and stifling the opponent's offense that they're going up against. And I will say that, you know, when it comes to the Cowboys, that Rams one was a good test for them, but they've had other tests as well. I mean, against Tampa in week one, granted, they did lose that game. They only gave up 19 points. It's not like they got blown out in that game. Granted, it seemed like it was a blowout just because Tampa's defense was you know, up for the show that day, and they held that Cowboys offense to three points. But, you know, if that Dallas offense was actually running and gunning, that game would have been a lot more competitive. It's just when I look at Dallas, Dallas is a very good team. And I will say, when it comes to the that Giants game in particular, similar type of outcome. The offense put up enough points on the board, and I believe that Cowboys defense held the Giants to 16 points on the road at MetLife Stadium. Very difficult to do. Under the circumstances with a backup quarterback, didn't matter. They were able to get it done. Now, I would say that when it comes to Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts is a better quarterback than Daniel Jones. So this is definitely going to be a test for that Cowboys defense. The Cowboys haven't had a test. 
I would say you could maybe throw Matt to. You could say Matt Stafford just off of name alone, but the Rams haven't played up to it. So that was a game that I think on paper you could have looked at it as a challenge. But when you really look at the nuances and the details associated with the Rams, they're just not running at full capacity yet. They're nothing like that team from last year that won the Super Bowl. But yeah, I think when you look when you look at the Eagles, the Eagles have shown consistency the entire year. Almost lost that one last week to the Cardinals, though. That was almost a surprise for me because, you know, the, the one thing, and Kev, you watched that game between the Eagles and the Cardinals last week, right? I did. Did that point that I made a couple weeks ago about there's been times where the Eagles have been able to move the ball 25, 30, maybe 40 yards down the field, and then they get to the opponent's like 35, 40-yard line, and some of their drives stall out. Did that occur in that Cardinals game? There were moments where the offense just went cold in general. Now, whether or not that was ill-advised play calling, uh, whether that was uh, inefficiency to finish drives because of pressure or because of you know good coverage, uh, the offense for sure had moments where it kind of stalled out, and I mean like emphasis on it like stopped. And it just looked like they were vulnerable. And that's another reason why I said with the advocate of, you know, playing that devil's advocate, if this offense stalls and then Dallas also brings pressure, turnovers are going to be inevitable. Philly can't go three and out against this defense. Philly cannot continue to be stagnant outside of the second quarter because they are the NFL's leading scorer in the second quarter of the entire year. They can't go cold in the third. They can't be slow in the first. They can't fall behind in the fourth and expect that defense of Dallas to give in. This needs to be uh, fixed. This needs to be uh, escalated up to management. Whatever you guys got to do, call Howie on the field, get somebody yelling at somebody. This is this is the biggest concern for me. Just like you said, if this offense decides to take a nap, there's going to be a problem. I mean, look, you know, drive sputter out. It happens. It's just kind of a emphasis of the game. Sometimes the defense is just up for the challenge. But, you know, there have been times when I've looked at this Eagles offense and the Eagles have been able to put points on the board. That really hasn't been an issue as far as I've seen it. It's just that there's just certain points in the game where it's like, damn, like they got to make a third down conversion. They don't get it. And then they got to settle for a field goal or they got to punt it, even though they're on the you know, opponent side of the field. And I'll give you an example. I remember the Buccaneers last year. I remember Tom said this about their offense. He kept saying that, he never believed that that offense was running at full capacity. Like there would be flashes of it, but it wouldn't be consistently for a full 60 minutes. And I think at times when I look at the Eagles offense, there have been times where they've looked great for 30 minutes, 35 minutes. And then there are times where, you know, 15, 20, 25 minutes to finish out that 60 minutes. They just don't look in sync. They just look a little bit off. They're not able to complete third down conversions or, you know, convert on third downs and extend drives to move farther down the field. And look, you know, when it comes to Jalen Hurts, he's still relatively young. I mean, for God's sakes, I think the guy's like 24, 25 years old. So he's got plenty of time to be able to mature and learn from his mistakes. But overall, I think, you know, the Eagles office is in a good place, but I think there's still a little bit room left to be desired when it comes to their overall uh, their overall effectiveness. I think, you know, as time goes on, I think we'll we'll see the Eagles start really running and gunning probably towards the latter part of October, maybe early November. But, you know, I mean, they're 5-0. and 
They could potentially be 6-0 going into this matchup, so we'll see. It should be a very fun game, though. I'm glad that this game is on a Sunday night because I think it deserves it. Thankfully, I will be there. That'll be my... F- so this is actually you, you kind got, of funny. You got to be excited for that, bro. You got to be... I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Play. Obviously, you know, the, the, the trip in and of itself, I won't get into details. It, it, it ended up taking a turn. We have to deal with some things when we get up there. So it's neither here nor there. Um, but the, the excitement for the game is going to be absolutely crazy. What I'm nervous about is... I've heard so many stories from my girl's family. These Dallas fans come to these games and just get absolutely arrogant. And every year, Philly gets voted one of the worst fan bases, if not the literal worst fan base in all of sports. I'm worried it's gonna get somebody's gonna get a little rowdy, especially if Philly starts to lose. I don't, I, dude. Her, granted, I'm from New York. I've seen fights. I've seen fist fights at basketball games and all these. Dude, the way they have me looking at this, I'm like, bro. Is somebody about to get like pummeled and like thrown down a freaking flight of stairs or something? Because <laughs> yo, Philly fans are wild, bro. Oh yeah, I I mean, look, I've got family in Philly, and trust me, like they don't hold back. You know, I mean, I, I will say this: when it comes to this year specifically, they they've actually probably been relatively tame, all things considered, just because the team is winning. But I mean, when things go bad, oh, it gets ugly. Oh, it gets oh, yeah. ugly. It turns quick. So, you know, I, I mean, the only thing that I've seen like this year where it can get ugly very fast if you're like a Philly fan, look at Denver. Look at the fan base and how quickly they've turned on Russell Wilson. I mean, they are ruthless with the boos against Russell Wilson. And, you know, it's the same thing when it comes to Eagles fans, especially when the team is not doing well. They do not hold back. Bro, they'll probably start chucking stuff at the Eagles if they screw around and mess up some games like you know especially if they go on a losing streak yeah those whole those fans do not hold back so i i got the family to prove it so yeah it's it's again it's not a genuine fear it's just a uh what's about to happen <laughs> bro I, I come on you see you've seen it in new york i mean granted i know new york is not philly but no there there's some similarities with Oh yeah, how hostility, fans, you know hostility, how fans shit talk, chirping, oh, yeah. you know, f- opposing fans going at it to where they're like grabbing each other. Like that, that, that doesn't bother me. Again, it's just mainly like if a fist fight breaks out in the middle of a football game, that's going to be one of those like, yo, it's, it's not that deep, bro. Like what? Yeah, yeah, you got to relax. I mean, granted, it could be worse. I mean, it could be freaking Raiders fans where people were getting stabbed in a parking lot. You know, because I mean, Jesus, the, I didn't even the, know about that. My oh, God. yeah. Oh, yeah. When it comes to those Raiders fans, uh, you know, not only does it get scary, it gets kind of violent and not like violent, like with the Bills and where, you know, the Bills fans literally just chuck each other on tables and break them and do uh, a whole flaming bunch of tables. Weird. Oh, I'm sorry. Flaming tables. They stepped it up a notch. It used to be just regular old tables. Now that the oh, team's been that way. Good. It's been that way for a little bit. You know, not only that, that chucking dildos on the field during a game i just i saw that 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 fan base is wild Ridiculous. but phillies is up there philly has oh, yeah. a claim to fame though they just correct for sure they're they get ugly they get ugly speaking of ugly though we got to go over ron rivera and the comments that he made about carson wentz quarterback uh, ron rivera was recently asked about you know what is separating the commanders from the rest of the NFC East this year. Granted, we've only been five games in, but he specifically said it. The quarterback position is an emphasis of weakness when it comes to the commanders. And he made that point very clear 
uh, earlier this week, and he was essentially saying that he, the commanders had failed to find a quality signal caller at the quarterback position in a quarterback-driven league. And there's been a lot of controversy surrounding this scenario of Ron Rivera saying what he said. And we'll see what happens with Ron Rivera and the relationship that he has with Carson Wentz moving forward. But it's definitely definitely a little bit of tension now that there's been some uh, some public criticism towards his own quarterback five weeks into the year. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, what do you make of Ron Rivera making comments and criticizing Carson Wentz? Let me be clear. Um, obviously, if you guys watch this show, I'm not someone who defends Carson Wentz by any means, ever. I'm always bashing him, making jokes, making fun of him at some point. So for me to go out here and defend Carson Wentz, this has got to be a big enough story for me to actually come to his aid. As a player in the league, Keyshawn Johnson said it best, you are instructed as an NFL player, as an athlete, never bash your coach, never bash the staff, never bash a teammate. It, it, it always leads to something wrong. You get, get benched. It's just common courtesy, right? Why aren't coaches held to that accountability? If you are being protected by 53 men on that roster, why is it that you single out one person? Last I checked, Ron Rivera is supposed to be a defensive-minded coach. Last I checked, Washington is in the bottom tier of total defense. Last I checked, their running game is in the bottom tier of rush offenses. Last I checked, Carson Wentz has been sacked a multitude of times, upwards of the total of Matthew Stafford and Matt Ryan. So when you're really looking at it, what are you doing to help your quarterback? What system are you running to provide him? What are you doing on the defensive side of the ball as a defensive-minded coach to get your quarterback more opportunities? I know that they're missing Chase Young. Obviously, he tore his ACL later in the season last year. He's expected to return at some point. There's no timeline, but until then... You're one in four. The quarterback position gets the blame, gets the glory for every single decision ever made, even if it's not his fault. Now, I'm not saying Carson isn't to blame for a lot of the miscues that have been happening down there in Washington, like I warned everybody, but for you to single out just the word quarterback, the question was asked, uh, what was it? Hold on. He was the... Re when asked Monday what separates the rest of the ascending NFC East from the commanders, his immediate response was one word quarterback and I find that to be absolutely comical because the reason the other two competitive teams in the NFC East are winning are not because of quarterback play Dak Prescott's been hurt Daniel Jones has been playing average football it's been Saquon Barkley in the defense for Dallas it's solely been the defense how are you going to say quarterback is the reason you're losing the reason that they're winning is because the defense of every team in the NFC East is upwards of within the top 10 Philly's up there Dallas is up there and New York What's the problem here? You're not forcing turnovers. You're not stopping the run. You sure as shit can't stop the pass. You've allowed 28, 29 touchdown passes in five weeks already. Well, what are we talking about here? Carson is definitely to blame. I am not saying that he's not. But for you to just throw quarterback under the butt, how can you defend that? How can you, as a head coach who's been in this league for so many times and is a valued and respected member of the NFL community, you've never done that. I mean, were you... Were you bashing Cam when he when he lost the Super Bowl for his reaction after they lost to Denver? Uh, what happened to all the quarterbacks that you've had and the, uh, the quarterback carousel you've had over the last couple of years? Alex Smith, Taylor Heineke, Ryan Fitzpatrick. The list goes on. It's not just Carson's fault. Maybe you're the problem. You can't seem to win in Washington. 
So for you to just blame one focal player, especially in the media, you didn't say that in the locker room. You have to go and apologize to Carson, who's already had to deal with public humiliation in Indianapolis when Jim Ursay said that they didn't have faith in Carson or however he worded it. Of course, it's a paraphrase and a personal opinion on what I interpreted that to be. And I'm not defending Jim Ursay at all, no matter my personal feelings towards Carson. As an owner, as a coach, as anybody within the organization of a leadership position, you should not single out a player. Now, if a player breaks the law, if a player were to do something on the field that is absolutely unacceptable, that's a whole different conversation. But for poor play, you went out and traded Indianapolis for Carson Wentz. You went out and gave up capital. You took on $33 million of cap hit this season. That's your decision. You had to sign off on it as the head coach. So for you to put all this on Carson's shoulders is definitely not fair. And I think that Ron Rivera, I don't know if it's a fine disciplinary action. I'm not saying a suspension, but the, you may have lost the locker room with that with that comment because you don't come at a special teams player. You didn't come at a third string linebacker. You came for the starting quarterback of this franchise. And I guarantee that did not sit well with the 52 other men on this roster. And that might bode for his uh, immediate firing either this season, if not midseason, if Washington doesn't turn it around. Because we saw Matt Rule get fired early. There's nothing stopping this organization from saying, you know what, Ron, you've had your years, you've had your chances, you've had a multitude of quarterbacks. We can't do this anymore. So I think Ron Rivera sealed himself to get canned pretty relatively soon. Kev, there's not really much else I could say. I think when it comes to the criticism that Ron Rivera had for Carson, I don't think it's unfair to say like he has the right to be able to levy criticism against Carson. But to do it in such a public manner and to really focus on the quarterback position as like the reason why the team is struggling, I think it's really just a missed opportunity of really what is ailing the commanders at this point. And to me, it's relatively simple. It's the fact that their defense is giving about giving up about 25 points a game, which is worse than the NFC East, by the way. When you look at all of the NFC East teams, the commanders are the only team that have given up over 100 points throughout the first five weeks of the year. The other three teams, which include the Cowboys, the Giants, and the Eagles, have not hit that mark yet. So it really is a point of emphasis when it comes to the commanders. They are giving up points. And not only that, like you said, Carson Wentz is getting sacked hellaciously they are the third worst team as far as sacks allowed they've already given up 20 sacks in five games that's average of four per game i wouldn't be surprised that that total goes up going into this weekend it's just a tire fire situation with the commanders they've lost four straight games their offense is sputtering because carson can't be protected and he's putting up some pretty errant passes kev you have experience with that him with him being a colt last year and I think by and large, the commanders really aren't that viable of a team. And not only that, it's just, you know, when it comes to the commanders, they don't really strike fear into you, whether it's on the offensive side of the ball or the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, when you're in a division like the NFC East, you can't come out here and say comments like that. There's a lot of other issues that are ailing this team. And, you know, great, the quarterback position may be one of them. And I'm not saying that Carson is without sin here. He has definitely made some pretty bad decisions he's turned the ball over but it's not on him solely it's the offensive line they're not doing their part the defense is giving up points and you combine those factors together you know that's why they're sitting at a one and four record and there's a very good chance that Ron Rivera is probably going to be let go whether it's in season or after the season we don't really know yet but Kev I think I'm with you 100% on this one you know I think this may be like one of the nails that you, you might be you know, putting in the coffin for 
Ron Rivera's job as a head coach with the Commanders. We'll kind of see what happens for the rest of the year because there may be more instances that lead to his eventual firing. But, I mean, as far as I see it, I think what he thought he was doing was he was assessing the issues on the team. I think to just focus it solely on the quarterback spot, I think he missed the mark on that one. I think when it comes to the, I guess, the priority of issues that are surrounding the team right now, Carson is near that, but their offensive line. Their offensive line needs to be addressed immediately. They're giving up way too many sacks, and they're essentially right alongside teams like the Rams and the Colts with the amount of sacks that they're giving up every game. You know, And one of these hits, bro, Carson's going to get hit. And, and he's already an injury-prone he, quarterback. He's he's going to have a difficult time getting up. So, you know, those hits are starting to add up. I wouldn't be surprised if the commanders give up 50-plus sacks this year. I mean, they, they're already damn near halfway there, and we're not even a third of the way halfway through the season Halfway through the yet. season, yep. Yeah, so I, I think Ron was definitely off the mark here. But am I going to crucify the guy? No. No, not at all. No, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do him like that. But I just think that his comments were a little bit misguided. I'll just kind of leave it at that. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, um, regardless of the outcome of his tenure in Washington, we all know that he is one of the more respected coaches in the league. I'm not going to go out there and say he's done this in the past. He's made comments before. But this is just related to his performance as a head coach. When it comes to his personal character, that guy's gone through a lot. I mean, the guy. Survivor of cancer cancer, and all that. Yeah. I, I mean,. You could go down the list of, you know, just individually, like why Ron Rivera is just an absolute beast, you know, but when it comes to, when it comes to coaching a team, there's a nuance there. There's a, there's a distinction and whatever we say about Ron as a coach, we are not putting that on him as a person in no way, shape or form. We doing that. It's just, you know, what he said about the criticism towards Carson. I mean, I understand it and Carson definitely deserves criticism. I don't think Carson is you know, above reproach in that regard. He's, he's earned the criticism, but you know, for Ron to point it so directly at Carson, I think that was a little bit off. Agreed. There's a multitude of ways that people can read this situation. They can assess this all differently within personal opinions. And, but Hey, for all we know, people are, they are dictating this as soft as something that was blown out of proportion. I mean, Ron already apologized to the team the very next morning, which was this morning. Um, we all know and love Ron for what he's done, and obviously we've already talked about what he's accomplished as a coach, but for that comment to come out the way that it did when his team is performing as poorly as it is, it's not a good look for him, and it's yep. just Matt Rule got fired already. Who's to say, Ron, if they lose this game after a comment like that, the front office decides to say, we can't have a coach that has no faith in our quarterback. We can't have a coach that lost the locker room. We might have to let him go midseason. So we'll see what happens with that. So, I mean, you know. Obviously, we don't want to drag this on out, but we do have one last segment to get to. And ironically enough, as we're talking about a specific division, um, the NFL has always been a a league of dominant teams, dominant divisions. You know, over the course of history, at least within the last few years, the NFC West has been a powerhouse. Obviously, you go and you look at specific divisions like the AFC West recently as the last couple of years. Um, The AFC East has always been something to be not competitive. The NFC East has been something to be ashamed of, a wash, a waste of a division. But this year, things have kind of flopped. Things have kind of altered in the space of, I guess, the reality of the NFL. So Kyle and I are just going to do something really quick and give our thoughts on who we believe to be the best division in the league. 
So, partner, I'm going to you. Obviously, you're used to your Patriots dominating, and you're used to the and AFC East pretty much being a, a shoe-in, but that's not necessarily the case this year. So what do you think the best division in football is? Kevin, I can't believe I'm actually saying this with a straight face. I still can't believe it. I'm going with the NFC East. And when I look at this NFC East from top to bottom, I'm just absolutely baffled. The Eagles are at the top spot at a 5-0 and record. The Cowboys are sitting at 4-1. and The Giants are sitting at 4-1. and And the Commanders are at the basement. They're 1-4. and Nobody cares about that. I'm just absolutely amazed that teams like the Giants and the Cowboys are sitting at the position they are five weeks into the year. Because I'll be frank. You know, when it came to the Cowboys after week one when Dak went out with that thumb injury, I thought that their season was effectively over. I didn't really believe or have faith in Cooper Rush to be able to lead that offense to where they could put enough points on the board to be able to be competitive. And when it came to the Giants, the Giants have been very inconsistent for the last five years. I haven't had a lot of faith in Daniel Jones to effectively lead that offense. And I'll say this, they've proven me wrong. You know, the Eagles, I had a little bit more faith in just because the Eagles really had a good run in the second half of the year last year. They ended up going into the playoffs. Granted, they got smacked by Tampa in the wild card round, but you could definitely tell that the Eagles were moving in the right direction. So they were going to be a competitive team regardless going into this year. It's really been the Cowboys and the Giants for me that have just blown me away. You know, I don't think anybody expected five weeks into the year that the Cowboys would have the number two ranked offense, not offense, the number two ranked defense in the entire league. I mean, outside of, well, I should say, let me take that back. I think they have a top five defense. I think they actually have the number three defense. So I think the Bills have a better defense and the 49ers have a better defense. But even with that said, top five defense with Dallas, I was not expecting that in any way, shape, or form. And not only that, you know, when it comes to Cooper Rush, you know, you could say whatever you want about the guy. The guy does enough to put that offense in a position to win football games. He's not turning the ball over. He's relatively consistent on hitting the mark with his receivers. And he's extending drives. You, know, you tie that in with Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott with the receivers that they have at their disposal with C.D. Lamb, Noah Brown. It's a decent offense to work with. Obviously, we'll see what happens when Dak goes back into the fold uh, sometime, I would say, either this week or next week. But, you know, for the Cowboys to be sitting at a 4-1 record five weeks into the year, it's absolutely incredible. The Giants, granted, they're a team that I'm still a little bit shaky just because when they get tested by some real teams, I got to see whether or not they can actually live up to that test. But to start at a 4-1 record and knock off the Green Bay Packers in London last week, after being down 20 to 10 at halftime and essentially going on a 17-0 run to win the game uh 27 to 22 they gave up that safety i could care less about that at the end but they're a team that has shown a lot of perseverance and they've shown some resilience and daniel jones has done enough for that offense to be viable you tie that in with what saquon barkley has done this year he looks like he's finally healthy and you know, it's probably been a long time coming just because the last couple of years he's been just riddled with injuries, but he's taking advantage of the opportunities that he's given and he's making the most of it. He really is having a resurgent year and it's leading to success for that Giants offense. Overall, I would have never thought five weeks into the year I'd be talking about the NFC East this way. I've always considered them to be a dumpster fire anyway, especially the last two, three, four years. 
this division usually would have a champion that would have like a nine and eight record or an eight and eight record or nine and seven, or maybe a 10 and six record. But I can't say that right now. The NFC East is popping and there's no way I had any expectation of that going into this year. So Kevin, the floor is yours, bud. It's, it's the same. There, there's no argument. There's no discussion. I mean, I'm literally looking at all the divisions in front of me. There is no division that's close. And the only thing, in my personal opinion, that would be close would be the AFC West. But the Chiefs obviously have dominated that. The Raiders are 1-4. Obviously, at that point, the Broncos are 2-3, and three, and the Chargers are barely 3-2 and two with their own injuries and their own problems. It's, it's, it's the NFC East. We're talking about three teams that have legitimately held opponents under 100 points within the first five weeks. Phillies held opponents to 88, Dallas is at 72, New York is at 93, and then we're talking about one of the, if not one of the, excuse me, not even one of, the worst division in the NFL has been this division for the last five years outside of Dallas. It has just been an easy cakewalk for them. It's just been a repetitive reoccurrence. It's usually one team at the top, the rest are horrible, and it's it, it's really difficult to to... to like Kyle said, to even admit that in this case, the Eagles, Dallas Cowboys, and New York Giants are basically a game apart from one another. Dallas has the tiebreaker against New York, so it's a little bit more close in that regard. But I, you could have never in a million years come to me and said, Kev, after week five, and this is in August, you could have come to me even earlier, I think that the Cowboys, Giants, and Eagles are essentially tied for first place with a, a well above over 500 record. I would have laughed in your face. I would have told you to go away, and I probably would have continued to make fun of you for the remainder of your mortal existence. And maybe even in the afterlife, in heaven and hell, wherever it is that I see you, it, 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 that, that's laughable. It makes no sense. And yet here we are. All these teams are playing well. Again, like Kyle said, I kind of found that funny. I laughed pretty hard when you were saying that. that the, the commanders are in the basement. Nobody cares about them. It's kind of fucked up. But it's so true because it's like three teams combined have a total of 13 wins. That's more wins than most divisions have in total. And that's between three players. Like if you look at the totality going just from the NFC, in the NFC North, the Green Bay Packers, Minnesota Vikings, Chicago Bears, and Detroit Lions have a total of seven wins. Excuse me. No, not seven. That's seven right there. I can't add. Ten wins. Then, Then you go to the South. Tampa, New Orleans, Atlanta, Carolina. You have three, five... You have eight wins in the South. And then in the West, you have three, two, two, two. That's that's nine wins. Like, how is it that full divisions have less wins than three teams in the league? That is just wild to me. And it just, it bro, it shows. Brian Dable's doing a great job over there. Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore and Dan Quinn are doing a great job over there. Obviously, Brian Dable is doing a great job in New York. Or excuse me, Nick Seriani. I said Brian Dable twice. Dude, they're well-coached teams. Their defenses are great. Offenses are lackluster outside of Philly, but I mean, they're, get, they're getting it done. And that just speaks volumes to how much this division has turned around in just one season and how crazy the NFL is, man. Any given Sunday, more like any given NFL season, because again, I would have never predicted this in a million years. I will say, Kev, we have to kind of take this with a grain of salt. Because just because they started out this way doesn't mean that it's going to finish. Gonna fin- no, 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 no. But again, it's, it's just the, the fun of this segment right now, just because we are getting closer to that halfway point of the year. And I've been talking about it to a lot of my friends. Kyle and I talk about it almost every day. It, 
again, this division has been laughable that when teams come out of the division, it's almost like, well, they're a first round exit. Like it's nobody even cares. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, look, I mean, I'll give you an example. So, you know, when it comes to like the NFC East, obviously everybody focuses on the Eagles, Cowboys and Giants and deservedly. So I'll give you an example though, of somebody that we don't care about whatsoever. You know, the commanders are playing a Thursday night game against the bears. We're not even wasting our time when it comes to a preview of that game. And it, it just go, it goes to show like how much of a joke the commanders are now. Granted, I know we just kind of talked about them not too long ago, but you know, if you were to take that commander's team out of the fold here, I, I don't think I would shed a tear over it in the NFC East. Like, I got three other teams to work with, with the Giants, Cowboys, and Eagles, and they're going to basically slug it out for the next, what, three months? So, I mean, the commanders are pretty much irrelevant as far as I see it. But, you know, when you compare it to the other divisions across the board, yeah, back in the day, you know, five, six years ago, it was definitely the NFC West. The NFC West was just absolutely stacked. And, you know, maybe you could say the AFC North back when both the Steelers and, and the, the Ravens, Ravens were going were, back and forth. Yeah, you could definitely say that. But, you know, if I had to, I guess, say like another division that'd be right behind the NFC East for second place, probably have to go with the AFC West. It hasn't really lived up to the expectation that I thought it would, but... You know, the Chiefs are sitting at four and one. Uh, the Chargers are sitting at three and two. The Broncos have been just an absolute letdown through the first five weeks. I mean, it's getting so bad. There's some real tension with the fan base with Russell Wilson at this point. And not only Russell Wilson, but the entire team. That team yeah. is just not getting it together. And I, I have to say this when it comes to the Raiders. I understand that they're one and four. Kev, they could easily be four and one. Four and one, even five and zero. Oh, they've lost like all of their games by a combined single digit total, right? Like pretty much. Yeah, I mean they lost to the Chiefs by one point, and that's all Josh McDaniel's fault. And I will not continue to talk about that because people are just insane. Oh, you have to be gutsy in the AFC. What? No, you don't. You go for the field goal. What's wrong with you? You tie the game. Yeah, I mean there's a, there's a chance that Pat's gonna probably win the game if you do that, but but you can't say that you lost it on your inability to score a two point conversion. And guess what? Their defense actually stepped up and got a stop. So had they gotten that extra point, now you don't have to worry about, you know, going for a game, you know, a field goal that would, you know, win the game, you know, being down one. All you'd have to do is just march down the field and kick a field goal. You know, kick win. a field goal. You know, granted it'd be a tied game at that point had they gone for the extra point. But Less stress. I, if you go to overtime, you, you go to overtime. Bro, bro, you got Daniel Carlson, who's one of the best kickers in the league. Guy's automatic. The, the, I think homeboy's up to like 38 straight field goals at this point. Hasn't missed. Yeah, I think he's, he's automatic. Five, five or six away from an NFL Over, record. Yeah, he's he's just absolute money. I just, I'm just saying, like, I look back at that game. That was a game that the Raiders could have definitely had. But oh, yeah, yeah. If, if I had to say, just to kind of round it back to the point... I'd probably say that the AFC West is probably second. Um, I'd, I'd go with the East for me, just because outside said, of Buffalo, I, you know, Miami, it, in terms of the AFC eh, East, mm. uh, but Miami, if Tua doesn't get hurt, it's very possible mm. that they could also be 4-1. The Jets are playing better than what everybody thought. Mac Jones is hurt. Like, there are factors yeah. to show that each team could be better than what they are. I just don't have faith in the Jets. 
Sorry. I think the AFC East is the only division outside of the NFC East that has team multiple teams with four or three wins. Yeah, because the Dolphins have three wins, the Jets have three wins, the Bills have four wins. Yep. I think if you add the total up, they, the AFC East has 12 wins. So, I think, though, when it comes to the AFC East, though, when it comes to their caliber, I think the AFC West probably still outdoes them. Oh, 100%. We're talking about personnel. We're talking about overall quarterbacks. It's, I'm just yeah. saying, in general, for the sake of right now, in terms of competitiveness, like the AFC East has been a lot more competitive than re- in recent yeah. memory. Yeah, and I think, even though I think the Bills are probably still going to run away with that division 100%. towards the end of the year, at first it's been relatively competitive, and I'm okay with that. I mean, yeah. my team, you know, we're barely hanging on by a thread, but we'll see what happens with the Pats, I guess. It's okay. Me and you can suffer together in the offseason. It's fine. Yeah. It, being a Colts fan has got to be tough right now, though. It's okay. We get we get through our days. I, I imagine you guys are probably going to have a new quarterback going into next year. Just another revolving door of new quarterbacks here and there. Hopefully it's a new coach too, but that's neither here nor there. Guys, that is going to wrap it up for us this afternoon, or excuse me, this evening. It's fucking midnight again. Um, we appreciate the support. Kyle and I actually are both going on some separate trips. As you know, I'll be in Philadelphia this weekend. Kyle's got a wedding this weekend, so... Um, business as married. usual. I'm not getting married. I'm not getting married. No, no, no. Yeah, Kyle's going to be at a friend of ours' wedding. Um, but I will not be back until late Monday evening. And I mean late, late, oh, technically almost a red eye. So I will not be here for Sunday's episode, or should I say Mondays, but we will be right back with power rankings on Tuesday. You guys will have ready stuff to go, and you know, the content will continue to flow. We have enough stuff coming up in the pipeline for the remainder of the week as well as over the weekend to fulfill what we need to do. But, you know, as always, super kudos to my partner, man. I can't say this enough. Dude, the editing that you've been doing, the shorts have been fire, the TikToks have just erupted, and I, everybody that follows us, like, personally, on a friendship level has seen the growth, and it's incredible. Wouldn't be able to do it without you. Like, I shit you not. <laughs> if you just disappeared right you went on a, a three-week vacation on a cruise to alaska i couldn't do this i swear i'd be just uploading audio i could i don't have the technology technological capabilities i also apparently can't speak english uh so it's like I, bro i i could not do this so seriously the success that we've had lately i couldn't do it without you partner i say it at least once a week lately but it's like every tiktok guys if you're following Every every Instagram reel, it's getting better and better and better week in and week out. So like kudos to my partner, man. No, I, I appreciate that. I'm just I'm glad that you know when it comes to those shorts that there's been a I, I mean the response on some of these TikToks has been like overwhelming. Like I think it was the uh, which TikTok was it the um, the Cooper Rush one. It got liked by over a hundred thousand people. When 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 I sit down and edit these TikToks or Instagram reels or YouTube shorts, I'm never of the mindset like, yeah, like this one's gonna blow up for a hundred thousand likes or like over a hundred thousand views. You know, typically if it even gets like a couple thousand views, like I'm just over the moon about that. But it's like, you know, when I'm just sitting down and editing, I'm like, you know, it's good enough for me. But I I didn't know it'd be good enough for you know hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, I've just been, I've been overwhelmed by the response and I'm, I'm glad that everybody's enjoying the content, you know, and that's, that's what makes me happy is that everybody seems to be enjoying it. 
you know, on top of, you know, what we say. And I know there's a little bit of controversy that comes, you know, with the things that we say, you know, in a relatively, you know, short period of 30 to 30 seconds to 45 seconds. But no, I'm just, I'm glad that everybody's enjoying the content. So, and hopefully that support continues. And, you know, that's the only thing that I could hope for, you know, it's not just, I say this all the time. It's not just, you know, the, the YouTube shorts and the videos, you know, if you listen to us on the audio platforms, if you listen on Spotify, on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, we definitely appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, obviously there's kind of a bigger emphasis on the video aspect, but you know, glad you guys are enjoying the content that we drop and uh you know as the week goes on or as the weekend goes on there'll be plenty of it so stay tuned that's all i gotta say yes sir but guys we'll keep you guys abreast with some changes in the schedule if things need to be altered because of our weekend plans and whatever have you but as like i said we have plenty of content to keep going and we'll see you guys the second we can so appreciate everybody for tuning in and we'll talk to you guys later Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric cast.